Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon is from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. One of our venture values is involvement. If you remember, we did that series at the end of, of last year, and if you haven't listened to it, just a little shameless plug for our website. We uh, syndicate our, our sermons via podcasts, and uh, you can find them, actually. You can find them on Spotify. They're hosted from Anchor, Anchor FM, but we also have a page on our website that allows you to see them and search through them. So if you haven't listened to that series, it's really worthwhile listen. But one of them is involved and we believe in in being involved because involvement leads to ownership involvement's not a not a goal in it in, in itself but it is a catalyst it helps us it empowers us it enables us it it motivates us it it gets us going towards ownership have you ever wondered why we don't have a membership form if you're part of venture church it's not because you've signed on the dotted line somewhere. It's, there's no 15-page contracts in, in I don't know, five-point uh, text that you battle to read and later find out you've signed your life away. There's none of that. We, we, we don't have a written membership uh, document, not because we don't have values and not because we don't believe in membership, but because we believe that being part of something means being present. Being part of something means being present. So membership ultimately is or is the ultimate form of involvement. But involvement doesn't start with joining a setup team or getting involved in a, in a connect group, as good as those things are, it starts with Sunday participation. First, by turning up consistently. <laughs> I know that sounds obvious, but it's real. Next, by participating in the worship. I'm going to talk more about this just now. Worship is not a spectator sport. So by participating in the worship, but also in listening to the sermon in order to grow. There's a wonderful social side to our Sunday morning meetings as well. And that's good. They, these things are all part of what the scripture tells us church is. And they are the fruit, in a sense, of involvement. But we need to turn up and turn up regularly if we want to be meaningful members of this body. And we need to participate, we need to be involved starting personally before we do it externally. Again, more on that later. We also need to be consistent. I'll switch the timer on. Uh, the, the very first joke that I ever learned that was safe to tell uh, from a pulpit was this. Do you know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Oh, tough crowd. My word, even... Mike Vincent, where are you? <laughs> Help me out, but by the way, Mike is in uh, Lesotho on the Lesotho uh, equip at the moment, and we'll be back later this afternoon. Okay, 
Let me try the joke again. Now, I'm, now you're primed, okay? You know there's a joke coming? Usually jokes don't work well like this. Do you know what it means when a preacher looks at their watch? Oh, well done, guys. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, where's, where's my people with the big placards saying lava? <laughs> so I have started my timer and I'm going to, it helps me to know that I'm in trouble. <laughs> so turning up and being consistently involved is at the heart of membership. And I may be wrong, but my heart is that if I put a piece of paper to that, then it becomes about the piece of paper and not about the, the, the heart of involvement. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I have been asked over the years, um, you know, how, how do we become members? Well, be part of us, be involved. And not everybody is equally comfortable in that. But when I look at the scripture, it is that reality that permeates everything in the New Testament. Turn up, be there, and be involved. You know, you can turn up and have your own agenda, but I'm not speaking about that because then we're not working together, we're not knitting together. You can turn up and have your own values and say, values? Does Venture Church have values? Oh, and you can invent your own. It's not membership. It's not in being involved. It's not being part of who we are and what we do. Sometimes our own values can be quite uh, contrary, even to the scripture. That's why we need to be together. Are the five values that, that we hold as a church the only things that we can value? No, Absolutely not at all. But these are the five things that the Lord has told us to focus on in order for him to be able to use us right now as he wants to. So commitment equals ownership. Or commitment also leads to ownership. And I want to focus now specifically on the one thing that I mentioned already, and that is participating in worship. So I've called this morning's message, let's worship, because that's what I want to do. I want to leave you encouraged to participate in worship. And you may think, oh, I know all of this stuff. Good. Listen again. Just as I mentioned that uh, part of coming on Sunday is not just listening to the sermon, but listening to the sermon to grow. If we listen to the word and think, my word, that was eloquent. I liked all those big words, words and I, as I've heard a number of times over the years, Yo, I like your accent. Do you, do you know when I've been preaching my heart out to try and bring you into the freedom of Christ, it can be a little demoralizing when someone comes to you and says, oh, I really like your accent. It's like, is that the important thing? Is did you hear anything that I said? <laughs> did you hear anything that Jesus said or did my accent get in the way? Maybe, anyway. <laughs> so I'd like, to, I'd like to share with us this morning about worship. Worship is, first of all, negative. Not listening to and appreciating Christian music. 
Worship is not about good Christian music. Good Christian music is just that, good Christian music. And the people that we're listening to, they can be worshiping, but just by listening to good Christian music, we are not automatically worshiping. Worship is not just being in a church meeting. <laughs> Worship is not just being in a church meeting when a worship team is playing and singing. This was also the first illustration I ever heard in a Christian context. You can't become a Christian by sitting in a church in the same way that you can't sleep in a garage and expect to become a motor car. It's not by being in the right place at the right time. That enables or can enable and facilitate us to be, become part of something. But it is that involvement, it's that commitment, it's that activation of our, of our wills, of our intention of, and participating, being part of it. Worship is about worshiping God with our body, soul, and spirit. That's the kind of phrase that trips off your tongue easily, but is not necessarily easy to understand. It's something I want to unpack a little bit just now. Worship is a lifestyle. Why? Because worship isn't inherently about instruments and music. Worship is an attitude. Worship is an attitude that Jesus describes in Mark 12. I want to read Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the scribes approached. So this was one of the times when Jesus was, where opposition was trying to trick Jesus into saying something that they could then arrest him for and basically get him into trouble. So they were trying to set him up for failure. And in this particular case, a whole lot of Sadducees, which was a particular Jewish group, had been testing Jesus. But this scribe, i.e. somebody who read the Bible professionally on a daily basis and made copies of it. So somebody who was immersed in the scripture. This scribe was listening. And one of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. Have you ever felt that confidence to say to Jesus, you're right, Jesus. You're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God and no one dared to ask or dared to question him any longer. Just a quick, a quick couple of points of interest that come up from this passage. Verse 28, the scribe saw that Jesus answered the Sadducees well. He already, he was positioned well. 
He had, a, he had an intuitive understanding of what was going on. Or to put it another way, he was really genuinely seeking the truth. Whether he fitted in in society, like the Sadducees, or not, like Jesus. His interest was in finding the truth. When we come to Jesus, are we looking to tick a box or to find truth? Because if we're looking to find truth, then we are positioning ourselves and prepared to make adjustments when we hear what he's saying to us. This scribe was seeking truth. Then verses 29 to 31, Jesus answers his question. The question is, what one thing is the greatest? What's the greatest? What's at the top of the pyramid? What, what, what is the one thing that I can't forget, that I can't lose, I can't miss if I'm going to please God as a seeker after truth? And Jesus gives him two, which interests me in the first place. But there's, I think there's good reason. The first part of his answer is he quotes the most famous, the, the most well-known the most, uh, still most quoted Jewish prayer, what's called the Shema, after the first word, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But Jesus doesn't quote it. He slips in and with all your mind. And then he gives him, Reason two, which is possibly one of the most obscure commandments of the Torah, of the Pentateuch, of the first five books of the Bible. It is an obscure little scripture from Leviticus 19 verse 18. And it's just at the end of a whole lot of very detailed specific laws about very specific things. things, there is this verse that just says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes the greatest, the best known, the, the most obvious answer and the most obscure, and he slots them together. It's almost as if he's trying to say that what is important is complete devotion. Don't try and find loopholes, which is what the Pharisees and the lawyers did. Embrace the whole thing from the greatest to the least. Don't despise the small things. Embrace the whole thing. He's implying that the whole, the whole of the, 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 the Torah, the whole of the revelation of God is important. Can't have favorites and ignore the rest. We need to be a whole Bible people of God, not just the bits that we like, which part of which means embracing the stuff that we don't fully understand and allowing God to still be at work in us. Then, verses uh, 32 and 33, the scribe shows that his years of exposure to the scripture have allowed him to understand the heart of God. He says to Jesus, You've, that's a great answer, Jesus. And he, he reveals the fact that he understood the eternal heart of God as being a loving God. It is strange in, in some ways to think about the Old Testament as a declaration of love. 
But if you read it, it's got a lot of weird stuff and stuff that's particularly difficult to understand uh, to us from a cultural distance point of view. But it is full of the love of God for his people. And here, right from the very thing that we think of as being so legalistic, and by the way, that's why I prefer to use the label Torah rather than the law. Because the law seems to emphasize the legalistic impersonalness. Torah is just a Jewish word which means instruction or commandment. And it's the word that's used often of the law. But if I use law, that's what we think of. Whereas the law, the Torah, is full of the love of God. That's why God's... Anyway, let me not get too sidetracked onto that. So... Verse 34, after the scribe has shown that he understands that the Old Testament is full of the love of God and it's God's desire that we all know and experience his love. He, uh, verse 34 says, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And this is possibly the most telling. Out of all the good that Jesus acknowledges about this guy, he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He doesn't say, that's cool. Your understanding is so great. You've got to be a Christian. Why? Because he hasn't actually taken that step and committed himself to Jesus as Savior and Lord. We can be close to the things of God and yet not participate. We can see God's blessing on others around us who are entering in, and because we're not actually being involved, we are not personally experiencing that same blessing. What does all this mean about worship? Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions and try and answer them in this context. So first of all, what is worship? What does the word mean? What is it at heart? Well, the word comes is an English word that comes from worship. Something that has value, real value. And out of that, there is an expression, or we express the worth that we see in this thing, this person. So if you think about that, it, it's, it's part of our everyday lives, expressing worship. I'm so, I'm so grateful for my phone. I'm so grateful to have a, a good PC. You can see I'm an ex-techno guy. I'm so grateful for these wonderful people in my life. They have enormous value and worth to me. I'm so grateful for my wife and the value that she adds to me and how valuable she is to me. These are expressions of worship. Where we devote our time and what we give our verbal attention to are expressions of the things that we value. I'm sure you've heard this phrase before. If not, it's a good phrase. Show me your friends and I'll prophesy your future. Those who we give our attention and our time to determine where are our trajectory and our, and our impetus, our speed. The scripture 
even, uh, even bears that out. So what is worship? First of all, it's worth-ship. So what's the, what's the relationship between praise and worship? Because we like to talk about praise and worship. Well, sometimes a little bit, uh, uh, there's a lot of overlap, and sometimes it's a little bit uh, arbitrary, but th- there are differences. But the differences are not to get hung up on. I remember being asked once about all the different Hebrew words for sin in the Old Testament, of which there's quite a few. And I probably blew it because I I said, well, they're all ultimately sin. And that's first and foremost what we need to know. If you end up doing those things, you need to repent because repentance turns us back to focus and face face Jesus. But there is, it is helpful to understand some of these things. So just a, a quick distinction. Theologically, praise or we praise God for what he has done. We worship God for who he is. So praise and worship is about expressing the value that we have in God for who he is and for what he's done. What he's done comes out of who he is and what he has done expresses or reflects who he is, but it comes out of him. And like I say, the scripture overlaps those, those definitions, but that's a helpful rule of thumb to, for me to understand the difference between them. It also explains uh, both positively and negatively how something like idolatry can happen. Idolatry is one of those things that particularly as as modern people, we think has to do with ancient cultures and uh, third world. And we're privileged to live in one of those societies that is, (laughs) you're continually moving from the first world to the third world. Idolatry has to do with misplaced values. In other words, where we see value, worth, and ascribe worth and give worship to and time to things that aren't worthy of our time, our attention, our valuing. One of the great ones in modern society is our careers. Anything ultimately that comes between you And the loving plan God has for you is an idol. That's why we love to emphasize and we love to sing about the lordship of Jesus. What does Lord mean? It's not a title. It's not like Pastor Jesus, Lord Jesus. It is a declaration of being under his authority. You set the values, you set the principles, you set the the, the focus and direction, Jesus. You are my Lord. Of course, all of us know the reality that we call him Lord and sometimes don't go straight on and do our own thing. This is part of the ravages and effect of sin in our lives, but it is also an opportunity for us to recognize that maybe we don't have or place as much value and worth in our relationship with Jesus as we think we do. So how should we worship? Well, 1 Samuel 
16 verse 7. It's one of those scriptures that I'm sure most of you know when I've read it. Samuel is, the Lord said to him, I'm going to appoint a king. And he's now gone to where the Lord said, told him to go. And he's going to show him his king. And he's seen all these great options for the first king of Israel. And he looks on one of David's brothers and says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Or don't judge by appearances because the Lord sees both the appearance and both the external appearance and the internal reality. Worship has to do with reality. It's another reason why being real is one of our values. It's not good enough to to just do the right thing, to, to look good. Jesus wants us to be good. And that is a hard issue. That's an internal issue. And the Lord sees that. I have to tell you, it's, it's probably very easy to deceive me. Sometimes I feel I'm a little bit gullible because I want to believe the best in people. So when they tell me, hey, this is, this is great. This is what the Lord's doing through me. I believe them. Take them at face value. But the Lord isn't hoodwinked for a moment. So what's this got to do with worship? Worship isn't an optional part an optional activity that we do. It's an integral part of who we are. Worship is an expression of our actual values because we have values that we aspire to embrace and we have values that we actually live out of. And a very high rule of thumb, how do you see what they are? Well, look at your time. How do you spend your time? For instance, like I started off with, if you say you're a believer, do you come to church and meet with the people of God? And if you think I'm bashing you, you are almost definitely wrong. (laughs) I'm not not, uh, pointing anyone out. I'm just simply uh, painting this picture, the, the scripture pictures of what being involved means. The kind of involvement that leads to membership. In this context, the kind of involvement that gives honest, real, heart-based worship to God. Worship is not a spectator sport. You can go to Ellis Park. It's not called Ellis Park anymore. Well, whatever. Thanks. Emirates Park. You can go and and watch a rugby game or you can go to FNB Stadium or watch a soccer game and be there as a spectator. You don't have to get involved. But worship is not a spectator sport. You can witness worship or you can witness other people worshiping. But you're not part of it. It is only when you participate, when you get involved, when you engage yourself in worship, that you are starting to worship. And worship is one of those wonderful things where it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
when we ascribe majesty to the Lord our God, he becomes majestic to us. We don't necessarily understand the fullness of what we're singing sometimes, which is evident because every now and then we pick up on a song which is amazing and has almost heretical words to it because we love the tune so much. Worship comes from the words. The tune is a tool that the Lord gives us so that we can remember. For most of us, when, when we hit an emergency moment, what we remember is what we've sung. And that's not wrong. But it's why it's important for us to choose what we listen to. If we listen to ooey gooey, oh baby, that's not going to be significantly helpful to us when we're facing a massive crisis and our life is in danger. We need to hear about the awesome, awesome sovereign Lord. Why? Because we are weak and we need him to come in and be strong. If we've sung about it, if we've declared it, if we've been involved and participated actively, then that thing becomes part of us. And as we declare it in the situation where we need it to be true, we experience it as true because he is objectively awesome. Worship must affect our bodies. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with everything. That's the praising. He, he slots in this extra thing about, and your mind, because it had become a, a, an important thing to make people cognizant of. It's not that he wasn't there before. In the Old Testament, they didn't need to love God with their mind. Yes, they always needed to love God. with. We all need to love God with our mind. But that's not the, the, the challenge for us right now. We need to learn or relearn to love God with our bodies. Body image is a huge thing in uh, contemporary society. We need to worship God with our bodies. And I'm going to read you one more scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It was reported to King David... The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Mike read this last week. So David went and had the ark of God brought from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted calf. And David was dancing with all his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn music. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michal looked, David's wife, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. I just want to make a couple of uh, observations, notes from this passage. There was a blessing because of the presence of God in Obed-Edom's house. And Mike did an amazing job of, of emphasizing that. In the presence of God, there is always blessing. And how do we press in closer into the presence of God? 
we give our all. Jesus already talked about that. Unreserved worship, study, whatever it is, but unreserved, unheld back. OTT. David's response was unrestrained joy. The ark, the presence of God, was coming back into Jerusalem. Just by the way, most of you weren't around part of uh, this church when somebody preached on this, um, this passage and started stripping down to his linen ephod. I'm not going to do that today. I don't wish to distract anything. From, I don't wish to cause anybody to stumble or sin. <laughs> but there was a poignancy to what was done then. That, that is so real. And it's that kind of radical abandon to make a point of loving Jesus with all of who we are that is just so important. So there is blessing in the presence of God. Coming into the presence of God is positioning ourselves for, to experience the love and the blessing of God. David's response to being in the presence of God was unrestrained joy. But Michal's, that was his original first wife, Saul's daughter, her response was to despise David's exuberance. And that is almost what modern society does to us. It despises us when we are radically, recklessly, joyfully, exuberantly expressive of the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. The, the despising of Michal not only blocked the blessing of God, but caused her to be unfruitful. For her, literally, she was barren till the day she died. Because when she confronted David, and David in turn said to her, you are missing it, she hardened her heart and continued to despise him. He, on the other hand, continued to press into the presence of God and live in the blessing of God. So I want to challenge you this morning because we're going to worship in response to this. Let's take God at his word and worship him with every fiber of our being. So just a couple of quick, very practical pointers at this, at this point because as always, got caught and hung up on the scripture. But practically, how, do, how does my personality come into play in terms of what I'm challenging us to do? Worship God with every fiber of our being, including our bodies. Where does my personality come into this? Well, it does come in. How do I know? Because as I read through the 66 books of the Bible, as much as I hear the voice of God, I also hear these subtle uh, differences of the different authors. God does not want us to be robots. He doesn't cookie cut us. He recognizes the individuality that he put into us. So how then do I give you helpful, practical ways to respond? The Lord is challenging you to go beyond your comfort zone. I, I used to believe that it was sinful to dance because I'd been taught that in my 
Christian upbringing. When I realized the scripture, especially the Psalms, God devoted an entire book, 150 chapters, to praise and worship. There may be a hint in there about how important it is. But there is that we need to respond to God beyond what we are naturally comfortable with. So for me, reading the Psalms and recognizing the dancings everywhere, and then even discovering that in, I think it's in in Joel, no, it's not in Joel, one of the minor prophets, there's a verse that talks about the Lord dancing over his people because of his joy in us returning to him, Israel in that context. If the Lord can dance, and the scriptures are full of it, and we've just read David's exuberance, then I can at least do the holy two-step. I can move my feet. If you've never done it, do it. Do it as an act of faith. Do it even if it feels weird. Why? Because there's something holy about the holy two-step? No. Because you are activating your faith in doing something. I don't understand, Lord, but I want to worship you with every fiber of my being, and that includes my body. Just the other thing is, and I'm warning you now, send a telegram to your face to tell it that you're happy and excited about being in Jesus' presence. Because we forget so easy, and sometimes we need a serious reminder. Let it be a joyful, exuberant thing. So where does, your, where does your character come in? Step beyond what you're comfortable. You're not trying to tick a box though. So if for you, stepping beyond your comfort zone is stage diving and flick flacks and card wheels across the front or down the aisle, go for it. You have my permission. Don't need to ask. If for you, going beyond your character and your comfort zone is the holy two-step. Go for it. Just don't stop. Don't discount and discredit yourself. Love the Lord your God with all of your being, body, soul, and spirit. It is a heresy to believe that your body is not important. Don't get me sidetracked on that one because that one comes from Platonism and Greek philosophy. Plato preached that all matter is inherently evil and that the eternal state, as we call it, is where there is no matter and we are bodiless, faceless spirits floating around ethereally, maybe playing a harp. That's got nothing to do with the scripture. More on that another day. The eternal state... It's full of worship, but not that kind. I know I've joked before and said, maybe there's some electric harps in heaven. But worship is part of our future, but how it's expressed is amazing. Didn't have time to look at that today, but read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation after Psalms is the most filled with expressions of praise and worship. So we're gonna worship in a second. Can I ask if the band will will come up? We're going to worship in a second in response to God. 
whatever it is, and I'm standing at the front, so I can't check you out. And no, there is no CCD ca CCTV camera up there, so uh, that I'm going to critique you. This is not about ticking boxes. This is about responding to God, body, soul, and spirit, wholeheartedly, and worshiping Him as He deserves. If your personality says, this is as high as my hands go, then put them a little higher. If you can't move your feet, then take your partner's feet off and move them. If you are comfortable with, with being a little bit exuberant, be more exuberant. So can I ask us to stand? Put your faith into action. Because we're not liars. We love the Lord our God. And we want to serve him passionately with every fiber of our being. While they're tuning up, I'm just gonna, I want to lead us in prayer, a prayer of, of commitment and a prayer of help me, Jesus. Father, we come before you recognizing your challenge to us to worship you with every fiber of our being, to make sure that our value system is, is centered in and around you. We thank you for your blessings upon us, the blessings that, that enable us to be skillful and, and earn uh, salaries. We thank you for the, for the blessings of many kinds upon us, all of which come from you. We acknowledge that, but we embrace it too. Help us, Lord, to be involved and not just spectators. Lord, we commit ourselves to you for the discomfort that we may feel, but right now we commit ourselves to you to take the next step, even if it's that first step of that two-step shuffle. We embrace moving beyond, not because it's comfortable, but because you are worthy. So we say amen and amen, and we bless you with all of our hearts and with all of our bodies in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. If you want to connect with us further, log on to our website, venturechurch.co.za or connect with us on our various social pages, Instagram and Facebook.